And not just that, after he brings it back a second time, he fucking wings it across the room and splatters it against the wall. Like a fucking frisbee. Right. <laughs> Sometimes dead is better. Yeah, except Pet Cemetery doesn't have somebody throwing the cat on the table and going, do we agree that it's dead? Welcome to two maddening hours of horror and fright. respect you, and you have access to certain authorities. We can defeat death. We can achieve every doctor's dream. You'll be famous and live lifetimes. Hi, I'm Candy, the final girl. You killed him. No, I did not. I gave him life. And I'm Shaun of the Dead. I've conquered brain death. And tonight on The House That Screams, we are talking about the 1985 classic Reanimator. We have Dave Gurman. Here's your meatball. <laughs> we have Crystal. Don't expect it to tango. It has a broken back. <laughs> and returning guest, Mike Scott. Hi, you guys actually left me with the good one. All right. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, you nailed that delivery. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, you have to have fun line. That's cool. I'm going to I'm gonna start us out tonight because um, if you pay attention to uh, our Twitter or my Instagram where I do all this stuff, like, I fucking obsess and I all day hype this up. Like, I cannot wait to talk about Reanimator. I just talked about it two weeks ago at another show. Um, listeners, you will know because it's a show we're friendly with. But we're going to go right into this thing. I am not a Lovecraft fan, and I, I want to state that. Um, that's not a secret if you're familiar with the show. And, uh, like, if you if I were to turn around with this right back shirt, I have on H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator. And Reanimator uh, is one of the very first tries I had with Lovecraft, um, and I was so fucking bored. And I love to read and I love horror, but Lovecraft doesn't do it for me. And particularly not with Herbert West reanimator stories. They were a paycheck to him. I can't speak too much. Like if Erica were here, she she and Sean could really go on about Lovecraft. But I feel like we really need to start with Lovecraft before we talk about the film. And I, I just wanted to throw out some Lovecraft uh, critiques at the beginning and we'll get into the love. So I, I've read quite a bit of Lovecraft Um Herbert West reanimator is by far my least favorite uh, Lovecraft. 
um, stories. Uh, these were actually written as serials uh, for the uh, magazine um, Homebrew, and uh, they were written in 1922. And he wrote these. I think there were maybe five or six different serials, and the basis of Herbert West and reanimating the dead is really the only thing that is similar between Lovecraft stories and the film reanimator and understandably so because in the serials you eventually, at least what, what the film reanimator is, is loosely based off of takes place during typhoid and there's a typhoid outbreak. Herbert West gets the body of uh, Dr. Halsey, who's succumbed to typhoid, reanimates him. He goes crazy, kills a bunch of people, you know, and then he gets arrested or, or captured by the police and thrown into a mental institution, whatever. But because of the times, um, they've adapted the film reanimator, you know, to a more modern time. And Lovecraft, aside from the fact that he was a racist shit. Yeah. Um, his his reading is reading his work is very difficult, it you know, like an assignment. It, it really does. And and, you know, some of the some of the things that he's written that I love color out of space, Pickman's model, um, rats in the walls. I mean, he's he's got an extensive collection of stories that, you know, some of them are really good done, which horror. Uh, but this is by far his worst work. And he agreed with it. And. You know, Lovecraft scholars agree that this is the worst thing that he's ever written. Okay, so uh, I'm just going to call people Dave. Well, I've never read any Lovecraft either, and I always feel like that, you know, when you say that amongst horror fans, you're like the guy in high school who said he really doesn't listen to Led Zeppelin much, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, but I just, ha I, just haven't, I just haven't read any Lovecraft. Um, I did enjoy the movie Color Out of, Color Out of Space. It made me want to read the, uh, the, the story. And maybe delve into it. I know, especially when oh no, especially when Eric is here, because she I always feel like she she knows her Lovecraft. Girl yeah, she really Lovecraft. does. I've got I, some I, big I, shoes to fill. Yeah, that's I. I but uh, this movie I hadn't seen it. I'd seen it rented it back in the day on you know VHS. Hadn't seen it in years. We watched it again last night. This movie is just that shit insane. It's it's just it's just crazy, especially the last sequence in the um, in the morgue down downstairs. Uh, just insane. If you're a gorehound, this this is your you know bread and butter. And it's funny and it, and it's subversively funny. Uh, the the character of Herbert, I guess we'll talk about him the most. His his character is so interesting. Uh, you know we can get into that a little bit later. But um, and the relationship between him and uh, Dan, Dan, Danny, uh, <laughs> is is great. Um, yeah, well I, that that's it for now. Yeah. Crystal. Um. Well, I like H.P. Lovecraft some. But what I like is that, yes, this is the worst um, thing that he's written. But he parodied Frankenstein for this. So it was just a, a straight parody for him. And he was. He was making $5 per story in this series. So the dude made 30 bucks in 1922 off of this story. Um, but the movie's based off of just the first two in the series. After that, it gets it gets a little wonky in the story, um, and you can definitely see the racial tones and how Lovecraft isn't exactly you know the nicest person in those. Uh, I think one one quote from the book that I remember, well from the first series that I remember, 
is that he's talking about how Herbert's trying to get bodies. And he literally says, uh, at some point, two Negroes just keep coming to him with bodies. And they don't question where they got them from. There's just like two random guys just out there just bringing you bodies. <laughs> Interesting uh, point. Yeah. Um, Mike, let's hear from you. So I've read a pretty good amount of Lovecraft. And I, yeah, I, I think the thing when it comes to Lovecraft is a, yeah, he was a monster. I mean, there's just no question about it. He's a reprehensible human being. Um, you know, I mean, he's and his writing style was outdated even by the time that he was writing. Uh, so I agree with you, Candy, that a lot of reading him, it feels like homework the the biggest thing for Lovecraft, I think, is that he also cultivated this group of friends like August Derleth and, and people like that who took his ideas. Because the thing that with Lovecraft is the man was an idea machine. He was just kind of a really terrible writer in person, but he was an idea machine. And so all these people have used his stuff as a springboard. I mean – there's we don't get Clive Barker without H.P. Lovecraft. And and so we don't even really get Stephen King without it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And and so the stuff that is written and created and developed in Lovecraft's world. I fucking love to death. I just don't necessarily like the source material. You know, it's kind of. It's just, but that's that's not that uncommon, right? There is stuff like that where you go back all the way back to the original source material, and you're like, ah, uh, you know, I really don't enjoy that, but I do love the everything that's come from it. Uh, it, it this movie included, uh, which is, you know, I think one of the best things to actually come out of that world. So, you know, I read a bunch of Lovecraft in college. I, I got like the complete works of Lovecraft and went through it all. Um, I do have some stories that I enjoy. I'm I'm a big fan of the statement of Randolph Carter. That's that's one of my favorites because it's it's so quick and to the point. Um, but I'm never going to go back and read his stuff again, but I'm always happy to watch or read anything. You know, like one of my favorite things that sort of sprung out of this is I don't know if any of you guys have ever read anything from Brian Lumley, but he's a, a big time Lovecraft sort of devotee and and i really liked a lot of his stuff so you know i'm glad lovecraft existed for the good stuff that we get out of it yeah and that and that's where i'm gonna kind of pick up um i i, I had this kind of hot take uh about roger corman and um not that roger corman uh is a terrible person like uh Lovecraft, like, I don't care for what Roger Corman does, but I like what he inspires others to do. And and I know other people like, Corman, what are you talking about? He's like a god. No, no. And some people are like that about Lovecraft, like separating the art from the artist. We can do that a lot here. We've talked about that in many things. But Stephen King is my all-time favorite author. And I I like what Lovecraft has, like like what you said, I like what he's had others inspired to do or to adapt or to put into their own works and, and evolve like uh, Stephen King's the biggest one. And here's an interesting um, little sidebar. I think um, let's take a Stephen King work like Pet Cemetery, 
Now, if you lay these out side by side, you see the very direct influence of Reanimator in Pet Cemetery. But what Stephen King does right that H.P. Lovecraft did wrong is he has, you know, much better human pathos. He has better themes, um, more relatable characters, and he's just a fucking better writer. So I think, you know, where is the reagent? And and I'm skipping, you know, here I am jumping right to the end of the movie. But um, so the whole time, you know, Dan's at first blackmailed by Herbert to help him, you know, and he's got this love story uh, with Meg, you know, played by the awesome Barbara Crampton. But Dan's so against it the whole fucking time. Um, but at the very end, you know, the grief and we have that fades to black shot with the syringe depressing and we hear her scream. I mean, I think that's that's just a fucking cinematic, brilliant moment. Um, and a lot of people think this is a cheesy movie and I think it ha- it's it's a little too serious to be cheesy. But um, also, yeah, like with, with uh, it's the same addiction of like, I know something bad's going to happen, but my grief is so strong. I will do anything. And that's what Pet Cemetery is. If you think about it. Yeah. And Pet Cemetery, that cat comes back all horrible and, and, he, and he actually has to kill it again. But he still puts his wife there. You know, and his knowing, son, his year old son. Knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. The, Knowing it's going to be bad yeah, and, and madness of grief. Yeah. And if we've discussed that a lot in some of um, the horror movies that we talk about, because really at the heart of them, there's there is a lot of grief. We have when we talk about horror, there's death and some of them don't show, you know, so much of the grief process. But, uh, you know, here it's present. You know, he, he does the exact thing that he, you know, Dan, you know, goes out of his way. Like, I'm going to bring her back. I can't lose her. You know, we see it that it, it harkens back to our opening shot with Dan trying to save that patient, which he actually broke a couple of her ribs on uh, the stunt woman at the beginning. Yeah, doing the. Yeah, that was horrible form on CPR, and that was <laughs> way too slow. Like the nurse and me. And I he was, was yeah, I was yeah, screaming he, the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's that, but uh, yeah. So it, and then we get like full circle where Dan's trying to save Meg and he can't save her. And so, you know, and, and at the beginning, we get that whole, like, uh, doctor, you, sometimes you have to know when it's time to quit. And Absolutely. clearly, throughout this entire journey, that's our that's our opening moments and our ending moments. He still doesn't know when to quit. Um, so I thought that was actually kind of an interesting journey. Yeah, and I think the funny thing is, too, with, with Herbert West, you know, this is all an experiment to him. And, you know, he experimented with the cat, and the cat came back. And so when they go into the morgue and they start looking at all these, they're going through all the bodies and stuff, and they finally decide, you know, on this body, and he injects a little bit, and he gets nothing. So he's like, well, shit, you know, we need more. So he fills that whole syringe up. It had to be the most Lou Ferrigno-looking motherfucker in the room. <laughs> right? And the dude, the dude wakes up with those veins just bulging out of his face, naked as a jaybird, and just starts you know, slinging people across the room. And, you know, I mean, and the experiment worked, but, you know, holy shit. But at what cost? <laughs> yeah, you know? right, right. And, and also, really quickly, uh, I'm sorry to jump in. Um, I'll get right to you, Dave. Um, it I, it brings back the brain that wouldn't die. Vibe with me. Um, Jane in the pan. <laughs> Jane in the pan, um, except we have something much worse yeah. in the pan. Uh, this time, but we'll talk about that some more. Uh, Dave? I was going to make lasagna, but you've got the pan. <laughs> uh, 
that um, that apparently that that actor, uh, that uh, large fellow, the first one they reanimate, reanimate was Schwarzenegger's body double uh, in um, his early movies. Uh, yeah. and, and it shows his big guy. But what I have in my notes, what's funny about this movie, at least at the beginning, is that every time they reanimate something, it comes back all twisted and horrible and murderous, and they just keep doing it. You know, they're like, oh, let's try it. Maybe this time. Maybe this time we'll get it right. But then at the end, when, like, Candy, you said that that fade to green shot with the syringe, it's not that funny then. He's bringing back the woman he loves. It's, you know, horrible loss. And you hear that scream as it fades to black and because it's going to go exactly the way you know it's going to go. Right. So it's sort of tragic. It's funny up to that point. And then at the very end with that fade out, it's not that funny anymore, which I think is is a great thing about comedy horror is it can be both. Especially I love I love I love horror movies that end on a dark note. that's not uplifting like Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery didn't end, didn't end happily at all for anybody. Oh, no. Uh, and, and this one, too, uh, even though it's funny, these reanimated corpses running around, you know, it's not that funny when you realize it's going to be his girlfriend now. Even though you don't get to see it, you get to hear that scream and, you know, and, yeah, it's dark. Mm. Um, yeah. Crystal, did, did you want to add in or? No. Well, I found it kind of funny how, like, at, at the beginning where uh, Dan is under the cover and it's kind of scaring uh, Meg, it reminded me of Night of the Living Dead. It did. It, it reminded me. It, it was similar to the um, uh, the the graveyard scene where he's just scaring her. Um, and and a little bit of Halloween. Yeah. Right. And that kind of led up to her being like, "Look, don't you know?" When Herbert comes in, it's like, uh, "We don't even know why he left Switzerland." Let um, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she was giving him what, what women call the look. Right. Yeah. And, and intuition. Your gut told you. There was a lot in this movie. As a nurse, I was like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, been there. Yeah, been there. <laughs> um, with, you know, with, with different people and stuff and had to do a lot of time in the morgue. So I was like, oh, they, they don't do it like that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, they're scalping that wrong. I think Dave's like, just, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike. Uh, so I did want to say really quick, my, because we didn't say it at the start, I want to get my uh, backup quote out because we mentioned the cat, which was going to be, and what would a note say, Dan? Cat dead, details later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I want to I wanna jump on what, what Dave was saying about the ending and, and how, we know how it's going to go. But what I love about that ending is the whole movie is setting up that ending because on one hand, we've got West constantly saying it'll work if we have a fresher corpse. It'll work if we get somebody who's more recently. And now we've got somebody who literally 10 seconds earlier just died. Um, and so there is a part of you that's like, even though you hear the scream and you're like, ah, fuck, before you hear the scream, there is a part of you that's like, Maybe it'll work this time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. was right. Um, You're in on it. But I also love too that that the and this is one of the things that you know is completely absent from the original Lovecraft story is the tragic descent of Dan Kane in this movie, right? We because it's it's reanimator Herbert West is technically you know who is the main character and obviously Jeffrey Combs gets to have all the fun, but really what this is about is about. Dan getting seduced into essentially madness and the way Bruce Abbott plays it is really fucking good 
throughout all of this. Like every decision he makes actually makes sense to you based on what's come before. And you just you're like, Dan, no, don't Dan, just walk away. But but you can already see they've already set up. You know, he can't you know, he's not going to be capable of it. He's he's a heroin addict. It's just it's green and it reanimates corpses instead of getting him high. Uh, and, you know, and that's I've had friends who've had the roommates who didn't ever use drugs until they got roommates that use drugs. And you can you've literally watched him go down that path. And that's yep. exactly what's happening to Dan here. You know, that's such an interesting um, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll get to you in a second, um, Dave. Uh, I, I want to jump in because I was going to also use the addiction um scenario um very much so i totally agree with what you're saying mike and when people talk about this film sometimes we get this like this cheesy thing when i think of cheesy 80s horror films god we could go on all night like uh let's use something else barbara crampton was in like chopping mall like yeah that's cheesy that's cheesy this has some yeah, really yeah, serious true. films and it, and it also has you know with that frankenstein vibe we have our mad scientist in herbert west and and jeffrey combs like god does he just own that role i look at him and i'm like it's herbert west um even now and i think that's hurt his career a little bit um but yeah, um, but 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 not only do we get one mad scientist in this we actually get two mad scientists in this and they go toe to toe like david gale's performance was exceptional and you got to think about the shit they put this dude through they made him shave his head so it would match the wig that they were going to put on the prosthetic head. Poor dude. And, and and he's also, when it gets to the infamous, let's let's just go ahead and say it, head giving head scene, you know? Like, let's go there. Um, Yeah, David Gill did not want to do that. He did not want to do it. And they, they finally talked him into it, and he did it. And then when his wife saw the movie, she left him. And not just left him, she fucking divorced him. Like, but I'm like, at what point, where's the line? Because you know your husband's an actor, right? But yeah, I mean, like, that, it wasn't like, uh, like, like stunt people in there doing it. That's his mouth on her boob. That's him going, you know, head giving head. And I was, my mother showed me this at a very young age. And I didn't really <laughs> understand um, what, what was going on there, but I knew it was weird. Like, you know how kids, like you instinctively have that feeling of like, Ooh, stranger danger, go away. Like, I don't really know what's going on here, but it cannot be good. She's screaming and, and she's naked. That's naked. I'm like, no, but yeah, as I got older and I figured it out, I was like, Oh my God, it just got weirder. Um, <laughs> I, I like to talk about the head giving head scene. Uh, so I just wanted to do that really quick. Sorry. Well, I mean that, and that whole scene itself is just fucking cahoots, man. I mean, not only is do you have a naked Barbara Crampton strapped to a table with a a severed head between her, a talking severed head between her legs, <laughs> but then you have all all of a sudden when when Herbert West comes in, all of the other bodies wake up and they're all naked. And so now you have a room of all of these naked, you know, zombies and a headless corpse and you know just fucking madness that whole that whole last 15 minutes of the movie is just fucking that insanity shit. that shit um dave well i was gonna uh mike was talking about drug addiction actually herbert is injecting himself with the serum like a diluted uh, in some of the uh, in, i think in the deleted scenes uh he's 
injecting himself with a diluted version of the serum to keep himself awake so he doesn't have to sleep or eat. So, you know, he's actually, he is a, a junkie. And he, and he brings Dan along. Dan is just as north at the beginning. You know, you see him, he's compassionate. He's trying to revive that woman. And the, uh, the uh, attending doctor has to tell him, you know, it's time you have to know when to let go. He's a compassionate, you know, normal, you know, tall, good-looking guy. And, and then uh, Herbert comes along and sort of drags him to the dark side, gets in between him and his fiancée. We, we, we need to touch on that whole theme. You know, that, that's going to be a whole conversation. I, yeah. I don't want to, whenever you're ready, but that, that's the whole, that's the, that's the, the um, center of this movie, I think. Yeah, there's a yeah. wedge. That whole, that whole relate, that whole love triangle thing between Herbert Dan and, uh, and Barbara Crampton, uh, uh, what's her name? Megan. Megan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. dead cat. And, and the doctor too, who has this weird, David Gale, yeah. weird, I strange, Dr. yeah, Dr. Hill has yeah. this weird, strange, you know, fetish. And isn't it suggested that he's been lusting after her since she was a little kid? Yeah, with that file and her hair. Yeah. Her hair and all those pictures and, like, weird, like, reports and and news articles. Like, she's, like, debutante of sophomore year or some shit. I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's the thing that works, because in order for us to have any sympathy for West and and even really Dan at all, you need an antagonist in this who's so monstrous, so reprehensible that we're like, yeah, you know, Herbert's actually not awful. When he is, he's a fucking yeah, he's, human being. He just happens to be less terrible than yes. Dr. Hill. <laughs> Good point. Um, yeah, with the, 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 um, the showdown between the mad scientists, I mean, yeah, he makes uh, Wes look like a pussycat. Because uh, West, in his fucked upness, thinks that he's doing something great. He's like, I will absolutely kill to get the results. But the result is, is you know, I want to I wanna be able to bring people back to life. I want to conquer brain death. I want to do this. Um, and Hill's just like, I want your fucking discovery. And I'm going to just, like, fucking go nuts with it. I'm going to take all the credit. I'm going to do all this shit. And just that that character, man, Um, yeah, he was he was just phenomenal. I don't think people talk about Bruce Abbott enough either because it's because, uh, you know, Jeffrey he's the Jones, normal one. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. And, and it's, and it's hard to come across as like a standout performance unless you, you love this movie and you viewed it many times and, and you have love for all the characters, but it, the, you know, what eats up all of it is really these, these two evil scientists, one a little bit worse than the other, Dr. Hill and Dr. West, um, but Bruce Abbott, you know, he doesn't get enough credit for this. Uh, I really thought this was a phenomenal cast. And um, and I just want to bring up something. Think back over a year ago when we did Society. Okay. <laughs> Brian Usna. Brian Usna got involved in this film so he could give us Society. He's like, I'm going to give you this really fucked up movie, but hold my fucking beer. I'm going to give you Society. And you're going to go, oh, Oh, oh. Um, so yeah, society makes this look like, you know, just this, you know, domesticated little pussy cat. Yeah, and yeah, because then we get shunting. Oh god. I mean, I think we were all so tortured and sticky and gross from talking about society, but I love society, but the and, fact and I'm Brian sticky and gross that, normally. <laughs> the fact that Brian Musna, who would go on to do Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and shit with Disney, um, like I'll do your I'll do your fucking reanimator movie. And it's going to be fucked, but uh, you have to let me do society. And 
they didn't know what they were getting into. And then they were like, oh. Yeah. And a lot of props for that go to Screaming Mad George, too, because the oh. special effects in society are insane. It's so gross. And, <laughs> and, and I will just segue real quick because, you know, special effects, that's where my love for 80s you know, comes from is, is the special effects and, and the makeup and everything. And we have two huge names, uh, names that have been mentioned on this podcast before. We have uh, John Carl Beekler, who uh, has done things like uh, Dolls, Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master, Tammy and the T-Rex. <laughs> and then we have Everett Burrell, a name that's also come up, uh, has done, worked on Day of the Dead, Invaders from Mars, Creepshow 2. And the reason both of those names have come up is because they both worked on Dave's favorite movie, Hard Rock Zombies. I was thinking that <laughs> wouldn't say it. Like, come up in every episode. Like, I, why can't we get away from it? I couldn't help but mention it. I felt I felt that that movie was like my uh, graduation test to be on the podcast. If he can make it through this, because it was like the third or fourth episode, I think. It's like, okay, let's do If he can get through this. I, I went to the fucking wolves uh, in season two. I learned my lesson. I, I do it in, in small doses uh, now, but yeah. season two, I was like, I just completely choke slammed everybody. <laughs> Watch the worst fucking movies in the world. And then, you know, you can stay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm crazy. You're a graduate of candy. You. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, like- <laughs> I don't know what that means or if it's, uh, you know, like a. Like something you want to be proud of, but you, you've seen the movie. Yeah. You've done things. But but as far as the special effects go in this film, I mean, I, I thought they were fantastic. They did a really great job. I mean, everything from right at the beginning uh, with that that doctor uh, with the eye, you know, the and eye the bulges. And, yeah. yeah. And, and the, you know, just, just going down the line, I mean, you had uh, all the way to the end with, you know, the when Halsey's, you know, crushing Dr. Hill's head. You know, and just just spurting the goo and just, you know, just it just collapses in his hand and it just oh, it's so uh, I love yeah, it. He, he slams it into the wall and it kind of you, sticks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, just real quick. The scene where uh, where uh, the cat, the reanimated cat attacks Herbert and it's obviously just a puppet on his back and he's flailing about. Well, that's some good stuff right there. But I'm watching it and as a cat owner and I know you guys are cat owners. I think cat owners. We're watching this going, eh, that's just a cat. You know, we're just it's yeah. cats. Sometimes we get making you know? meowing and we're like, eh, it's a kid. when is that different? It wants treats. It, you know, the cat always yeah, put up with so much anyway. That's my cat's like, well, I put up with so much anyway. I, I will say I can relate to, to Herbert West in this because we tried to give uh, our older cat, Brenda, we tried to give it a bath once. <laughs> and yeah. I had I had puncture marks in my back for like a week and a half. They were bruised. Yeah, I bet. He, he dug into my back so hard. I don't believe in declawing. I think it's no, cool. no, me neither. We do not declaw, so claws were out. Yeah, so blood is in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mike, let's hear from Mike, you. Mike, do you like cats? I have three cats, so uh, I, yes, yeah, so you so, know. Um, I, I, I just. Yeah, it, it's functionally indistinguishable when that cat's freaking out from. Right, it's almost like, yeah, he's just, you know, it's just, his, his dinner was late, you know. Um, one other thing, uh, Sean, since you brought up, you know, the special effects people, one of the other things that I thought was funny as I was just scrolling through the IMDb on this is the production intern on it is, I don't know if this is a name people will know, but Tim Minier, 
who went on to co-create Angel with Joss Whedon and was a, a instrumental in Firefly and a bunch of other stuff. This was literally where he got his start. You know, again, speaking of horrible douchebags, Joss Whedon, but that doesn't yeah. <laughs> yes. the good work that everybody that worked with him did. Um, the other thing that I love about sort of this, because we're talking about the special effects and you guys mentioned society, is I think this one... I like society. I was not on that episode. I like it. It's fine. Um, but I think this one gets the balance right. Society goes a little too far into the ooey gooey ooky to where you're just kind of like, like, it's fun to watch. And I mean, the shunting is, you know, from a, a, you know, just appreciating the art form of special effects is amazing. But this one, I feel like really gets that balance right of it's just enough to gross you out but not so much that you're like, I need to not eat for like six hours before I watch this movie. Like it's, <laughs> it's the right amount, you know, and nothing lingers really too long um, to let you really either get grossed out or see the scenes, you know, like, like when the intestines attack Meg in the elevator and stuff, or not when the intestines grab West, sorry, uh, you know, they don't linger on those. That's a gross scene, but they don't linger on it long enough for it to be gross. And they also don't linger on it long enough for us to really see like, oh, those are just air hoses with some goop, uh, you know, wrapped around them. Um, so I, I really and, it, and that just goes to. May he rest in peace, the maestro that is Stuart Gordon as a director, um, because he does very much the same thing in From Beyond. You know, he always knew how to balance all these various elements, the comedy, the horror, the gross out, the drama. He he didn't always hit it. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever covered it, but I'm not a fan of Dagon. I think that's probably maybe his worst movie. Um, but uh, but, you know, he knew how to juggle all these things. And I don't know in a career of great movies, I'm not sure he ever juggled them better than he does here. Uh, you know, he comes out of the gate on this one strong and i'm not sure that he ever does it better than he does in this movie right and from beyond was just a year after this film and it had um also barbara crampton and jeffrey combs and that um so usually they kind of get lumped together but uh i i i like reanimator it, it's i I'll, I'll go ahead and, and and make this weird it's our valentine's day movie I don't remember, I don't remember how that happened. It was early in our dating. It just happened. It just sort of happened. And so it's our Valentine's. We, we always watch on Valentine's Day. So it, it's like, um, yeah, it, it has like a really special meaning to me. And, um, you know, thank you to my mother for fucking me up and being like, oh, you like Night Living Dead? Here's the exorcist. And um, oh, by the way, watch Reanimator. I'm like, I'm. <laughs> oh shit! Stop crying! Shit! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh it was a little strange, but like my mom is is like she still loves horror, but like I consider her what I call a casual now. Like she's seen Reanimator, that's cool, but most of the time it's just like the classics, and and she has no desire to explore beyond those too much. But I do appreciate her getting me into Romero and you know the basics. But yeah, Reanimator was just kind of left field shit. I was like, oh, um, okay, I'm not sure what to do with this, but I couldn't stay away from this movie. I was just like, you know, we talk about as children, we're scared, but we, we're obsessed, and, and then we become horror fans, and, you know, that's what happens. 
But uh, yeah, I just want to throw that out uh, because they really think that, you know, the heart of this movie is the love story. And uh, and it really gives us that that great ending shot, which, you know, uh, Stuart Gordon did want to do this in black and white. And I think, you know, it could have been maybe cool like if they just left the green. But no, yeah. no, because they were, you know, they Stuart Gordon very much was trying to play on the the Frankenstein type, you know, trope and, and sort of a recalibration retelling uh, or whatever inspired by with this. But um, I think you would lose everything um, if it just didn't have the vibrant colors, the the very red blood, the very green reagent. Um, you know, all the effects wouldn't have looked as good. Like this movie needed to be in color, and I'm glad they didn't go with the black and white. Um, so piggyback off the of candy saying her mom showed her, showed her this movie. My dad is the one who exposed me to all of this. I was two when this movie came out. He showed it <laughs> to me when I was five. So there was a lot that I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's what it is. And I was the kid who snuck up late. I had like a five and a half inch black and white TV in my room that had the UF, UHF and the VHF dial. And I would sneak up late to watch Doogie Howser. So all of, like, the brain cutting and the scalping scenes, I'm just, like, all up in the TV, just like, oh, yes, I love this. The one thing that I remember bothering me when I was five was the cat. I was like, what did they get to the cat? Not the cat. I don't want to yeah. watch this anymore. Kill all humans, but leave the cat alone. Yeah. Right. So, right. Like, they bring it back to, like, twice. Like, oh man, come on. Five-year-old Crystal was like, oh, that's cool. His eyeballs popped out of his head. The cat, what you do to the cat? Yeah, fuck the humans. And, <laughs> and not and not just that. After he brings it back a second time, he fucking wings it across the room and splatters it against the wall. Like a fucking frisbee. Right. Yeah. And I was like, um, can we do something about that? Sometimes dead is better. Yeah, except Pet Cemetery doesn't have somebody throwing the cat on the table and going, do we agree that it's dead? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. No, it doesn't. Pet Cemetery is, it, it has no humor. It is very fucking dark. And, and I'm talking about the book, but also the movie. We don't talk about that remake. I don't consider that real. Um, <laughs> there was like no fucking dialogue. Anyway, I can't talk about that. I get mad. It may be the only <laughs> that I hate more than Freddy versus Jason. Um, and I said what I said. I just threw that out there. I fucking hate it, but yeah. Just fighting words. I uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I have hot takes, but yeah, I mean th- this. I just I don't know. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> she sorry. mentioned Freddy versus Jason. It oh, was all over. My brain was like shutting down. Uh, but yeah, I w- yeah with the the darkness in, in Pet Cemetery that that's the the different vibe. Um, it, with with the whole thing. But uh, I, I just can't, because knowing what a fan of Lovecraft um, Stephen King is, uh, just taking that and, and making it, you know, just uh, honestly a better story. We have comedy in this movie. A lot of people consider this a horror comedy. I don't. I think it's a horror with comedic elements. There's a difference. Like, horror comedy would be Evil Dead 2. This or is Hotel. Yeah, <laughs> shit like that. Yeah. But, yeah, this is not... Uh, I, I and, and this is just an opinion. I don't think it's a horror comedy. I think it's a horror movie with comedic elements. There's a difference. Yeah, and and if if my brother Rob was here, I think he would share my sen- sentiments, uh, especially with me mentioning this. Um, I think that a 
uh, all sequels aside, I think that the great spiritual successor to this film is Return of the Living Dead 3, uh, <laughs> if anyone's ever seen that. So basically, you know, main character's dad works for the military. They're reanimating corpses, trying to make super soldiers. His girlfriend dies in a motorcycle accident, so he takes her to his dad's facility, sneaks her in, and brings her back to life. And she just slowly starts to devolve into this, you know, brain-eating corpse. And it's almost like that's what we would get if the movie carried on after that, after you hear that Barbara Crampton scream, you know? Um so I don't know. I just wanted to mention it. Like, it was the first thing I thought in my head. Any chance I can get to mention Return of the Living Dead 3. I've got it on the schedule. I know, I know. <laughs> um, Mike. Yeah, I actually just want to. I hadn't thought of that, Sean. I hadn't put that together. But that's actually like fucking spot on. Like uh, Return of the Living Dead 3 is is definitely and certainly I think a better movie I enjoy the sequels to Reanimator, but I actually think Return of the Living Dead 3 is a better movie than the Reanimator sequels. Um, especially because, you know, we've all mentioned the love story in this one, whether it's between Dan and Meg or Dan and West or however you want to, you know, whatever, Akahedron yeah. you want to. And that's the thing with Return of the Living Dead 3 is, right? It's a fucking love story. Like at its core, it is 100% a love story and a pretty well done one. Um, yeah. so I'd never actually put that together, but I just wanted to like throw out that I, I totally am on board with that. I, I, I agree with that completely. Well, good. I don't sound like an ass clown then. I know when I mentioned return of living dead three candy's like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I want to touch on something to kickstart what I know Dave wants to talk about and what Mike was just sort of talking about. Um, there's a lot of conversation anymore about, um, and, and I feel like it's been in, in relatively recent years, the the love story between Dan and West. And a lot of people watch it and they're like, there's a lot of gay overtones here. Now, um, I think that it's not super, it's not like that, that argument doesn't really apply too much to this film. There's like a, there's a connection, you know, but they're, they're just like, if he's basically being blackmailed by this guy, but by the time he gets a brighter reanimator, um, it's really present. It's really present in brighter reanimator, um, the whole West and, uh, Dan thing. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I do see some validity in that that argument that, you know, maybe there's some sort of, you know, gay overtones or, you know, queer overtones. But um, I kind of look at Wes as more of an asexual uh, type. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it, it, it does work if you want to make it a gay subtext. It does work. But you really have to go to the sequel. You have to go to Brody Reanimator to really get that. Here, it's more of a blackmail addiction kind of friendship. I, I wouldn't call this a really a friendship, you know. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, Dave. I, I think, I don't know. I, I thought it was more... Uh overt i mean the first scene when when west walks into the uh, the uh, apartment he immediately looks at megan at uh, megan and he has that sort of immediately just likes her sees her as a threat yeah as far as i don't think he's sexually in love with dan 
you're right, I think he is asexual, but he loves him as much as he can love anyone because he, he has disdain for absolutely everyone in this film except for Dan. Dan is the only one he shows any compassion to. He puts the blanket around him when at the end when Dan is on the floor shivering and he holds him. When, when uh, he's confronted by the cop, he kind of clutches Dan's arm closely to him. As I think I don't know that yeah, it's not a sexual thing, but it's a it's very uh, it's a very much a um, it, it's a uh, an affectionate thing. He cares for him, and he cares for him more than anybody else in the film. I don't know that Dan's even aware of it. Um, it's it's sort of one sided. He's yeah. following Herbert along for different reasons. But uh, the uh, the parallel that I draw, and I wanted, I've always wanted to talk about my favorite character in any horror movie ever is Doctor Pretorius from Bride of Frankenstein. Just my favorite character. He's so subversive because back then they weren't allowed to have openly gay characters in film. So you've got a gay director putting a character in a film who's obviously gay, but he's not allowed to say it. So he has to do it in other ways. He's Mad props to James Whale. He's very tall and thin and prissy, much like Herbert. Herbert's very prissy. Herbert's very physically small and maybe a little delicate. He's got the high cheekbones, the perfect hair, the perfect face. He's very, you know, almost like clutching his pearls sort of. And, and, and I just, I'm watching it, and I'm thinking of Dr. Pretorius and his great lines about how, you know, he can't, uh, he can't reproduce normally, uh, like, you know, sexually like, like hetero people, so he's got to do it through the scientific method. He's saying, I don't want to have sex with women, so this is how I have to create life, is by, you know, creating these little tiny people in jars. It's, 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 the, the parallels there are so obvious to me. I love, I love Dr. Pretorius. I love subversive characters, especially back in the time when, when people weren't allowed to be themselves, they were they were they were oppressed by the the, the code, the film code, and the, the moral code of the day. And here's a director, a gay director, putting this character in his film, saying, "You know what? I'm going to slip this in because I know you dumb motherfuckers won't get it, but it's going to speak to the people who do get it." Right. It's from Harkins back to our talk about the bad seed with they everything they sneaked in there, but they're like they complied on a couple things of the moral code to get them off the back, but they got they slipped in a latent homosexual, they slipped in a lot of shit. Yeah, and I love that. And I, and I love Dr. Pretorius's hair. It's kind of a cross between Tom Waits and Lyle Lovett. It's this kind of tall, gray, yeah. you know, inverted sort of I love it. anyway. Yeah, I I love Dr. Pretorius with a passion. I love that character. I love anything that subverts, you know, uh current moral um, sort of panic about people being who they are. You know, fuck you. Yeah, I like how Herbert didn't clutch pearls. He broke pencils instead. He broke yeah. the pencils. Even, even the way he does that, it's very sort of prissy and... Yeah, like fastidious. Yeah. Yeah, very, and he's, little, he's got the little thin tie and the perfect suit. Uh, Maybe you should get a pen. Next yeah. time, bring a pen. Bring a pen. Yeah, the start I, of their rivalry. <laughs> well, I just I just want to say, Dave, real quick, thank you um, for mentioning Lyle Lovett because I haven't thought about Lyle Lovett in a long ass time. And he was married to Julia Roberts <clears throat> for a very very brief time. Right. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to help. But but speaking about the relationship between Herbert and Dan, whether you see it as a sexual thing or a friendship thing or whatever, you know you have to keep in mind Herbert West has spent so much time like dealing with the dead and working with the dead. How much time do you think he gives to the living? You know what I'm saying? Like he is obsessed. He is absolutely obsessed with reanimating corpses. So I can imagine like prior to where we see him at the beginning of the film, what was he doing? What's his backstory? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
backstory. I mean, like, maybe he was a bullied child. Like, like was he was he depending on two Negroes robbing graves for him? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh God, like no, seriously, like, like you know, I can picture him in some secluded farmhouse out in the middle of fucking Bavaria, you right. know, getting some, you know, getting some people to to bring some some corpses to him. I mean. You know, but you you have to think like if he spent so much time dealing with the dead and working with the dead, trying to perfect the serum, that he didn't have much time for the living. And so he finally meets somebody who's, you know, dumb enough or willing enough to go along, useful enough, useful enough That's really what it is. to go along dance. to go along with his experiments. That maybe he did form some sort of you know attraction to him or some sort of bond, you know, with Dan. And and you do see it at the end where he where he covers him with the blanket. Although, you know, he also took the tape recorder. Was that for his own purposes or was that to save Dan, you know, from any further trouble? I'd... It's you know, it's kind of whatever you want it to be, really, because yeah. we don't have an answer. The, only the movie knows. And, right. And everybody gets something different from it. And that's how we get these different takes. I'm like, you know, I never in all these years until recently stumbling across people saying yeah there's a queer overtone here i'm like there is oh and i spent so much time in the community the queer community like you think i'd know but i i never put that thought in my head uh because um wes was you know this is clearly if it is some sort of relationship or friendship it's of convenience it is uh emotionally abusive there's blackmail i mean like yeah. it's healthy relationship whatever the fuck it is it's not healthy um mike let's hear from you yeah, I mean, I think there definitely is a bond there because if there's, you know, there's no question. I mean, because West does go out of his way to save Dan and arguably Meg at the end of the movie. So it's it's very clear that that there is a two way respect or admiration or or something along those lines. It, it's interesting because it does almost start off as almost like a cult leader kind of situation where dan is just enthralled on a sort of almost under west spell as much as dan protests me thinks he does protest too much um but uh but you know i think by the end it's pretty clear that the west considers dan a a partner um not an assistant like he considers him you know more of a, a peer uh, you know, whether there is that that subtext or not is, you know, far smarter people than me have analyzed that and will continue to analyze that. But there's definitely a sort of I think you nailed it, Candy. It's an unhealthy, toxic relationship any way you slice it. Right. Because they are not good for one another, uh, <laughs> you know, because because Dan's not good for West either, because if West is focused on. This is his single drive, then, you know, Wes dies saving. Well, we know he doesn't die because we get sequels. But based on what we know from this movie, Wes dies saving Dan, which is kind of the antithesis of what Wes should be doing, given his single minded drive and motivation. So um, so you really you know, I do think it's very much a relationship, however you want to define it. And it's not a one way West is just using Dan because he finds him useful because if he did, he'd have just pieced out at the end of the movie. He'd be like, well, fuck, there's zombies everywhere and Dan's going to die. I'll just change my identity and go find a new school somewhere, you know? Um, 
but and, and that is the thing is that that relationship is to me what sets this movie apart from so many of its brethren uh so many 80s horror this is why this one you know we we're talking about it now like it's an all-timer because it, it it is that relationship between the two of them that really makes this i think you know we'll get to our ratings at the end but i i, I don't think it's going to be a surprise what i think of this movie um you know yeah. and it is because of that relationship that's what really sets it apart and if i can pay you back off that i mean that moment that you talked about where you know like, let's pretend, you know, this is 1985. Uh, we're seeing this for the first time. We're not thinking of sequel right now. But that moment there at the end, like, uh, where I think it really does show that they are sort of equals now. Like, that's really, really prevalent is, okay, so Wes is getting strangled by the intestines. And, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm trying to sound as intelligent. I can't talk about that. Um, but that's happening. And he, what he, what does he do? He throws that duffel bag to Dan. Like here, there's him and Meg. He's like, you know, you guys get out of here. Oh, here's my notes. And Dan could have gotten right the fuck out of there. And if he would, I think Meg still would have lived. But he stops and he grabs the notes, the serum, the recordings. They're all in that duffel bag. You know, he he grabs it. So that there was a clear choice made. Like, okay, now we're equal. We are on equal footing and you're very much right about that um, because I, I even questioned that we were watching last night and I was like, you know, I would not have paused one fucking second to pick that shit up. But that shit ruined his life. So away his scholastic career. Um, he was top of his class in his third year of medical school. He was set to, to marry Meg, you know, this gorgeous, wonderful woman. And he gets trapped in all this shit. And then what does he fucking do? He pauses. And that pause caused Meg to die. And I mean, change my mind if he hadn't stopped for that. And that's that's why we said Herbert West, life-wrecking idiot. <laughs> Hello, I'm a life-wrecking idiot. <laughs> yeah, when he was getting pulled in by the intestines, all I could think was, Carolyn, go to the light. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, um, I really like uh, these conversations because we bring up points. And I'm like, you know what? I didn't think about that too hard, but knowing that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, th that was the point where I feel like the choice was made. And I really yeah. feel like that was that tragic flaw. And, and then when we see, of course, we did get a sequel. We got several. And there was supposed to be another one that was they were talking about pre-COVID, but we've heard nothing else about it since. So I'm just not even... Because Jeffrey Combs, like, he got... It completely got um, pigeonholed into this role or in or horror roles in general. But um, yeah, but with a brighter animator, it starts out we've got a whole different kind of Dan from Bruce Abbott, who was just I had a big crush on him. I can thought we, he was dreamy. Bruce I thought, oh yeah, and he was a nice Linda Hamilton. <laughs> he was married to her during this time. Bruce Abbott, right? Yeah. Yes. I did yep. not know that. And and just dreamy, and I mean, he went on to do a lot, uh, you know, some other works, but you know, not not as extensive as, you know, when when we talk about like horror icons, we talk about Barbara Crampton, we talk about Jeffrey Combs, but who mentions Bruce Abbott? Like, I don't know, I'm so like he's so dreamy. Um, <laughs> With his yeah, jean jacket and his hair. The die was cast, the choice was made, and so we we end this thinking that uh, Wes is dead. 
Uh, I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> well, there's a, I just, I, there's something I wanted to mention earlier, and I forgot. There's a scene when um, the three of them are arguing, uh, Herbert, Megan, and Dan are arguing, and Megan is referring to Dan as Danny, her boyfriend, and Herbert starts calling him Danny. He says, Danny, that that's both affectionate and manipulative. He's both at the same time in that scene. He's he's almost like elbowing her out of the way. Danny, Danny, it, it's a little weird, and it, it shows, so I think, the... the the problem, the thing about Herbert is he's both at the same time. He does obviously have real affection for Daniel, but he's using him. He's he's totally using him. He's 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 the useful idiot. He's you know he's willing to go along. And the fact that he starts calling him Danny is so telling, I think, because he doesn't call anybody else by their first name, even by any affectionate moniker. It's always you know Mr. Mrs. Doctor. He's very precise. He starts calling him Danny, as and he's doing it as Megan is calling him Danny. He's like trying to get in there. You can see the, the manipulation right off the bat when she finds the cat in the fridge and, yeah. you know, she's immediately freaking out about it. And here comes Dan and he's like, well, wait, maybe there's a good explanation. For <laughs> right, maybe. You know, and it's like there's there's no good explanation for why your dead cat is in this guy's refrigerator. No, yeah, not so yeah. bad. <laughs> I would not accept any explanation. I'd be like, my fucking cat's dead, dude. Like, what did you want? A note that says cat dad details later? Yeah, no, that was, that's it. <laughs> that was it. Like the cat like got his head about. stuck in a, he says the cat got its head stuck in a it's jar. Sure. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And we're like, yeah, you're a fucking liar. We know better. <laughs> you're a liar. But, you know, speaking on West, just really uh, one last little thought for me. Um, I feel like he's one of those people that just never really fit in. He was maybe a little too, you know, one of those people that's like so highly intelligent that they're unusual and people kind of shy away from that he doesn't have any social skills um his he has a singular purpose and i i feel like you know here he he's worked so much with the dead he does he doesn't know how to be with the living um and you know so here's this opportunity for him to have this relationship on whatever whatever grounds um you know um so he took it and so, but I, I always think of him as more of like, you know, this alien type creature because he, he doesn't know what to do with humans. Like he wants to like save them supposedly, you know, conquer brain death. It's more about, if you notice, it's more about conquering brain death than it is any care for the human race or bringing back the dead. Yeah, it's exactly. Only, he doesn't care about the living about at all. Discovery and, and the scientificness, there's no love or compassion or grief or any human emotion attached right he wants his name beside discoverer of how to reverse brain death because then he has an identity then he's an important person and all right. those people that, that probably did him wrong in the past that created him to go on this path where they were gonna feel fucking bad weren't they you know yep. I, I hate to say i've worked with a lot of physicians like that but yep i, I believe it um mike did that make you think of frankenhooker it made me think of uh the main guy from frankenhooker yeah who was doing the trepanning with the fucking drill. Oh, God. Yeah. Frank is yeah. here. <laughs> Want a date? Got any money? <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, I do. Uh, Mike, let's hear from you. Well, I, I think that's the thing about West, right, is he's a narcissist. And, and if anybody's known a narcissist, you know, they're not incapable of caring about other people. Uh, but they are still always going to see those people as how they benefit them. So it just kind of goes back to our point. I think West absolutely 100% cares about Dan, but he cares about Dan in a large part because of what Dan can do for him. And also yeah. because he views Dan, 
I think that's, again, going back to the throwing the duffel bag at the end. He views Dan as the only person that's worthy of carrying on his work. Right. Nobody else is worthy of it. But Dan is because he knows Dan at this point will follow it through. And I like what you said, Dave, about the, you know, calling him Danny, because it's it's manipulative on multiple fronts, because it's also super insulting to Mac. Right. The way he's doing it. And so her thunder, he's wedging himself in to this relationship to try and drive them apart, primarily because I think because. He views Meg as holding Dan back from what Dan could truly be, which is another mad scientist who can help him conquer brain death. Um, It's such a it's such a brilliant performance on Jeffrey Combs part, the way he's able to. Be so awful, yet somehow still get us as much as we can being on his side. You know, we're watching him do all this manipulation. We're watching him be this awful. And yes, of course, he's again contrasted with with David Gale. But you can't help like I get why Dan gets seduced by him. He sounds crazy. And then you listen to him for 30 seconds and you're like, you know, you know, he's got a point here. He's got plus plus he does. Plus, he does what he says he's going to do. He does bring the dead back to life. You know, certainly they're murderous, you know, monsters, but he is bringing the dead back to life. He he does he does what he says and says what he means like like that's yeah. that's uh and so you get it I don't know that this the casting in this movie is so essential to its success for for all my love of Stuart Gordon and David Paglioli's script and all of that stuff the casting in this movie is so essential to its script because if even one of these characters doesn't work this movie is not a classic we're not talking about it in 2021 um because everybody just uh you know to use a twitter meme everybody understood the fucking assignment on this movie and and they they really they really nail it and i think that starts with jeffrey combs um yes he was uh i guess on i think the penultimate episode of the last drive-in uh this past season three and they did bride of reanimator and, um, you know, just just the interview between Joe Bob and uh, Jeffrey Combs, it was so interesting, like to 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 hear him, you know, uh, just talk about his experiences uh, with this franchise and just in general as an actor. You know, he, he was actually, you know, did a lot of prestigious stage stuff, uh, went to some prestigious schools like I mean, but then he, he gets into movies and he becomes Herbert West and he's always Herbert West, but he's not like upset about it. Like some people would be like Anthony Perkins had a really hard time not being able to break away from the typecast of psycho. Like he couldn't do anything else. So he took the psycho franchise over till he died. Um, And we got some, we got some, you know, mixed entries in there. Um, The one that he particularly had a heavy hand in, which was the last one. Um, is it four? Yeah. Yeah, four. Uh, fuck. Sorry, my brain went empty. Um, but yeah, that one is is arguably really, really the best of the sequels. I mean, um, and, and Anthony Perkins, like he just couldn't recover. And Jeffrey, and, and and it's like that can either fucking depress the shit out of you, or you just say, okay, that's it. And you know what? I've got work, and and that's good. And um, 
you know, I've done all this like Shakespearean shit, like in Jeffrey Combs case, like, you know, done a lot of stage work and, and, and acting in general. Uh, but, um, you know, he'll own this role. And, and I, I love that, especially when we, we've talked about our celebrity encounters, um, uh, particularly, you know, obviously with horror, um, celebrities and some of them really don't like to talk about their movies. Some of them are kind of embarrassed. Uh, Linda Blair, uh, I called her out on that a lot. I got out of line to meet her because she was so nasty to her fans. I'm like, you're at a horror con. They're paying for Linda Blair in horror movies. Like, don't be yeah. a bitch, please. Um, but yeah, so when you can take that and find love in it and hey, I've got work in, 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 and I can always have work in this genre, like, you know, he's happy about it. So that was just a really eye opening interview. And it says a lot about Jeffrey Combs. And when you see an interview with him, but then you see the intensity with which he plays Herbert West. I mean, like he just the meticulous way of speaking. I love as an English nerd, I, I really love and I love dialects and I love the way people talk. And I just love to hear him talk uh, as Herbert West because it's so precise. Every consonant, everything yeah. is said just perfectly. You know what I mean? It's, I love that, that, um, you know, while the, the character is is reprehensible, I think it was brilliant in giving us an even worse bad guy in this. Uh, like I said, David Gale, this dude lost fucking everything over this movie. Like his fucking wife, his family, for his, a hair. Scene, his <laughs> hair, for a scene he didn't want to do. And for, and you know, Christopher Lee was up for that role. Now and, I was, I was going to mention this. I was waiting until she got done to mention it. Could you picture Christopher Lee sucking on some titties no. and getting his head put between some? I'm sure he did. Oh, yeah. He was Christopher fucking Lee. Okay. But I don't want him in this role. I want David Gale in this role. He gave me everything I wanted. And I, and Christopher Lee has such a long storied career, even in 1985, clearly a long story career. And it would go on and on up to, you know, like, Throughout like the uh, Lord, Lord of the, of the Rings, Rings, shit like that. Like I mean, he's done everything. Um, I didn't Tim want Bill. him. Oh, yeah, I didn't want him in this role. I wanted David Gale, and we got David Gale, and I'm so very glad we did. I'm so sad for the man's life that it brought so many bad things upon him. But he is an actor, and sh I really feel like if you're married to an actor, you have to understand that there's love scenes and there's weird shit that goes on, um, and you just have to accept that. Like it's not real. Like why would you be mad? Why would you divorce somebody? Like, oh, you know, everybody's gonna know that's my husband. I have to do the honorable thing. Like, fuck you. Like, you knew. You knew this was an acting job. But yeah, um, Christopher Lee, as much as I love him, I don't want him in this role. So I'm glad we got what we got. And it goes back to what Mike was saying. The phenomenal cast. Um, I, I kind of wanted to piggyback off of you, um, but I got distracted by the movie playing in the background and the <laughs> hilarity of the false head. <laughs> yeah. And the ear falling off. Like, who, hey, who has a, a desk in the middle of a hallway and can smoke a stogie the entire time and be like, I'm going to the bathroom with this this um, booby magazine. And, like, <laughs> y'all know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I got totally distracted by that. But, oh, I remember. Uh, Herbert, Herbert West, the dialect that you talked about. His accent changed from the very first scene and then everything else. His accent changed. And I was like, wait, what? And I was also, because I speak German, I was laughing at them when they were, like, screaming, her doctor. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're literally saying Mr. Doctor. Like, <laughs> right, right. My kids what the hell? Kid. <laughs> Mr. Doctor. Like, who, who says that? Well, and the doctor's name was Hans Gruber. 
which nice. I, I know I know Mike knows who Hans Gruber is. I don't oh. even know who Hans Gruber is. I would assume most people would know who Hans Gruber and, is. And the the uh, building that was used for Mis- Miskatonic University was the same building they used in uh, for Cyberdyne in yes. Terminator 2. Absolutely. We're circling back to Linda Hamilton. Yes. yes. yes he's, it, it always ends up with these same couple of characters that we always come back to or these same names that keep popping up. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. Small world. That's um, so I, I wanted uh should I go into my thing? Okay. Yeah. I, we actually um we have like thousands of followers and listeners and I love all of you, but we don't always get a lot of responses. We get all the likes and the retweets, but we don't get a lot of responses. We got responses to uh, me posting this on Instagram at, like I always do, uh, a preview and then I I, I post uh, another cool thing that I put together when we release the episode. So um, we got some feedback, um, and I just picked a couple things uh, uh, from Twitter. Uh, this is at Shimba's Back. Uh, just brilliant. Jeffrey Combs gives an incredibly nuanced and charismatic performance as Dr. Herbert West, but the whole cast is outstanding, and the special effects are just timeless. We also got from um, Alleyway Crew, uh, Patrick, who always um, gets involved in, in our conversations. I appreciate that. Probably my favorite horror comedy of all time and one of my top five horror movies in general. I didn't take a picture of the one <laughs> on Instagram, so I'd have to like get in there, but I won't do that. But there's just a couple of things. I really appreciated the people that that did speak up um, and, and talk about the, their love for this film. Again, I don't agree that it's a horror comedy. I think it's a horror movie with comedy in it. But, um, but you know, that's uh, splitting hairs. Um, so at that juncture, and, and in fairness, Patrick and I disagree on damn near everything. So <laughs> you're, you're not alone on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, I do appreciate him always being involved with us and 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 retweeting us and and shouting us out. We have a great bunch of people. You, uh, you're one of our, um, you and Larry, uh, always are are there and and just getting us out there. Uh, friendships with some other podcasts really got to shout out the Barons podcast Barons cried out podcast they're finishing the season with Prince of Darkness with us and uh, they've been so supportive everybody that is involved with this show that we've had as guests that return as guests they they're always so supportive and I I want to thank you for that Mike uh, since you're here but everybody else uh, listening thank you and now shitty reviews from Sean let's hear it Crystal So I'm going to run through these really quick. This is going to be Sean Shitty Reviews lightning round. Um, I've got a lot of them, and a lot of them aren't very long. Um, I did um, break my laziness cycle, and I got out of IMDb and dipped into Rotten Tomatoes. There were some pretty good ones there. Um, Our first one comes from Jocks98. Unless you want naked men running around, this is pointless. (laughs) <laughs> got up that was the review well it was it was a long review i wasn't gonna i was gonna dive into that i just yeah I, yeah tldr um this one <laughs> is from uh david care uh who is a critic for the chicago reader he says uh it's kind of flat-footed stuff that gives this garbage a bad name we've got hoss v 
He says, I don't even know why people watched this, much less liked it. It was awkward. It didn't age well. And boredom streaks and cinematic cheese have drowned most of this movie in an unforgiving tsunami. Bernard K. says, probably some uneducated, barely intelligent, worthless buffoon might, I say might, enjoy it. It is ridiculous. Don't waste your time. 100% trash. Riff J. says, horrible movie. No idea why it's rated so highly and ranked so high on many all-time best lists. Almost every character is unlikable. The film is gory B-movie that especially doesn't hold up well over time. Not scary in the slightest. King L. I'm a fan of H.P. Lovecraft science fiction, fantasy, and horror writings. So when I heard about that one of his stories was made into a film, I was curious. Now here's the funny part. I have never read this particular story, so I don't know how close it comes to the book. It turns out this is one of the worst films I've ever seen. (laughs) Aaron G. says that this wavers between laughably bad and offensively bad. (laughs) Caleb K., I don't like this movie. It did not follow the Herbert West mythos. That and it is a bunch of random gore and sex scenes. Horrible movie. And Jake B. says, this is not Lovecraft's vision, people. We don't want Lovecraft. Not, not enough racism. More right. racism. Right, right. And last but not least, uh, Savallingham says, a piece of out-of-control crap. So there you have it, Sean Shitty Reviews. I always get astounded. I mean, you know, we have some some movies that come up on this, and, and Rob and I famously do it, uh, where we kill each other's sacred cows. Um, <laughs> that are our sacred cows, and I and you guys know that I have trouble doing a top ten of all time of anything because it it can change by the day, it can change, you know, ten years from now, or or maybe there's three in the number one spot, fifteen and two. But like, yeah, this is a top five film for me. I have revisited this. So many times I'm so familiar with it, and I don't know if that means I'm just a terrible person, according to these people, or I'm stupid or whatever, but I don't think so. I think fuck those people. I think they're just not the target audience. Maybe, you know, move on. Like, why do you got to stop and take your time? Unless you are a professional critique person, um, you know, a film reviewer, like, maybe just move on with your life after you watch it. Like, wow, okay, that was a loss. I'll just move on. That that movie wasn't for me. But this movie is absolutely for me. Um so I just want to, before we go into our reviews, anybody want to have any final thoughts on, on this topic? Uh, Dave. I never understood when people say horror is offensive. Horror is supposed to offend your sensibilities. That's what horror does. It shows you horrible things. It's in the, the name, horror. It shows you things that are supposed to shock you. I mean, I guess there are limits, but I, I can't think of any, but there must be. Um, but it's supposed to make you, it's supposed to shock you and, and, and make you recoil from it. That's the point of it, to make you maybe realize what's important to you, you know, what's worth living for, what's worth having, by showing you the opposite. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And I and I think I think about, like, the social commentary in a lot of horror films that, that we watch, Dawn of the Dead being a great example of, you know, when he explains why the dead come back to the mall. And it's like, because this is what they know. You know, and so it's like, you know, you like that's the society that we live in. Like people just mindlessly go to the mall and just walk around. And so when they die, that's exactly what they do. He says this was an important place in their lives. I mean, think about that commentary. 
this was the most important thing in their lives was the malls. This is where they come back to when they're the walking dead, not, you know, uh, the grave of their parents or, you know, the place where they met their loved one, the mall where they bought their shoes and their fucking smoothies. You know, it's just, yeah, exactly. I think like right now it would be everybody going for their phone chargers. Right, <laughs> I'm dead walking around looking for phone chargers. Right. Like two percent of. That is an elevator pitch right there. Work on that. We'll make it work. I'm gonna workshop it. Yeah. I'll give you five million. <laughs> Ooh, five million. That's a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, th- this movie. Uh, like, I mean, I- I'm jumping right back in because I can't stay away from. I'm obsessed with it, and that's the thing about horror fans. Like, yeah, there's a line of offensiveness but it's a personality thing it's a personal thing what is your line there's some shit out there that i won't fucking watch that's the kind of shit that sometimes where eric and i just go in different directions i'm sorry katie i didn't mean it but really quick like slaughtered vomit dolls exists and if you've never seen that movie uh do not (laughs) (laughs) don't Like no, that, no. that that Sallow movie, The Last Days of Sodom or whatever, I'm not ever watching that. I'm never watching it. Never, ever, ever. Um, but, you know, there's a line in it, but it's all personal things. And I, I don't judge people for that. Like, you like what you like. And if this movie doesn't do it for you, there's a movie that will. But do you have to go on? And, but this is the this is the time and age with it where everybody has access to public forums um, with, you know, the Internet and things. And they can hide behind a mask of whatever their fucking username is or anonymous and, and just say their opinions and, and, you know, feel like they're fucking important. And it's like, you know what? Nobody fucking cares if you don't like, if there's stuff I don't like, I don't immediately go to the internet and just tell people why they shouldn't watch it. I'm like, these, this movie is for someone, even that, that solo movie, like, yeah, that's for somebody. It's not for me, but this movie is for me. I've been obsessed with it since I was a little girl. I don't think it, and we talked about horror. They're really morality tales. Um, and I believe Dave's the one that originally used that here on our show. They're really morality tales. And um, and this is definitely has a lot of, uh, you know, issues uh, where, you know, you can make a morality tale out of it. What What's what's too far? We can even take that into the movie. What is too far? Um, you know, with these experiments, what you know, there you can make it. It could be some people view this as a horror comedy. I don't. I think the seriousness is a little bit more heavy than the comedy, but the comedy is great when it happens. Um, this movie is for me. The, I am its audience. Um, I will always be its audience. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, you, you guys, if you don't like a fucking movie, shut the fuck up. Somebody does. <laughs> There's a lot of movies I don't like, but I don't go straight to the internet. That's not like when we first thought. I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. I'm just gonna watch something I actually would probably like. Yeah. I'm not on the internet shitting all over my dinner with Andre. You know, I don't want to watch it, but, you know. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, everybody has different tastes and different lines, that line. Um, so, but I yeah. think we've talked about the horror community in general. I think it's so accepting because we don't mind being pushed out of our comfort zones. You know, there are limits, obviously, like we talked about. Well, I don't know what Mike was talking about, vomit dolls. That's good. You know, I'm going to dream about that tonight. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah, don't don't Google it. Do not I'm Google. I'm not going it. to. And and yet, as I say, I'm not going to. I know I'm going to. He will. Yeah. He right will do thing. it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think we don't. As what I found in the horror communities, we're so such an accepting bunch. You know, when we met up there at uh, Joe Bob's Drive-In, such an accepting bunch because we don't mind being pushed out of our comfort zones because it makes you think. You might not always like what you find, and that's okay. You cast aside what you don't like, and you embrace what you do like. 
but you know, it, but we're willing to learn more. You know, this this I, I thought about this movie in ways I when I back when you know in, in '86 when I was what 21, I, I thought about it. I, I, it was a whole different movie to me than it is now. It, I think about it in different ways now. Or if I'd watched Bride of Frankenstein back when I was 21, I would not have thought about it the way I think about it now. I, it would have not at all occurred to me that way. I think I just love the way that horror movies push you out of your comfort zone, whether it's through gore or story, mostly through gore, which I love. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? well, I mean, think back, think back to brain damage, you know, when yeah, brain damage is the best example I come up with a movie I'd never even heard of before. I was on this podcast and I actually was crying almost at the by the end of it. It's such I think they were so, all crying. I definitely cried. I said, I mean, how it's on its head. Such a powerful movie with with such shitty special effects and such <laughs> low budget. No, but I mean, but that's part of its charm to me. Is it's with such a limited amount of resources, they still made a movie that made me feel. Poor Elmer. Poor yeah. Elmer. Oh, the Elmer song. Oh god. I loved because I, I I opened that one up by singing Elmer's tune. You did. Oh god. Um, have, have you seen, have you seen um Brain Damage, Mike? Yeah, I have. It's it's been years, but I have. Uh, we're doc, we're talking the Hen and Lauder one, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 It's it's been a long time, but I have seen it. Well, when I put it on the schedule when we did it, I think it was last season. Um, everybody was like, you know, some people like Rob. You know, he likes Hen and Lauder, but like everybody, even the people who liked Hen and Lauder were like, oh God, do we have to do that movie? Even Sean was like, do we have to do that movie? I've never even and heard I, of it. And and I said, no, we're going to sit and we're going to watch it again tonight. And we watched it and I talked to him about it. And then he was like, oh, shit. And it was like, I, I came to that ready. I had my guns out like, all right, guys, listen up. We're going to talk about this movie and you're going to be a different person after we know. Yeah, because I never when I watched the film, I never looked at it from the perspective of it being about drug addiction. Right. And when she pointed that out and and pointed that out very early in the in the at the beginning of the film when we when we started watching it and so i looked at it through that lens and i was like oh my god like really you know and then i go back and i i do go through the trivia of the film and the history of the film and i find out about hin and lauder and all the things that he went through when he was creating this film and i was just like Oh fuck! Like that's fucking art right there. Yeah, like like mm-hmm. it took a serious tone, and that is not a film that you would think would take a serious tone because you know you got this fucking dancing turd brain fucking singing. <laughs> you know, I mean Zachary's <laughs> voice, voice, Zachary's yeah. voice, yeah. just you know. Hello, Brian. <laughs> Ready to crawl across the floor and plead for my juice? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, she's got that voice, that that sort of comedic voice, but what he's saying is not funny. Right. You want, are you ready to crawl across the floor? Yeah, and Frank Lauder, you know, and and this will be the last I say about it because I want to go back to Reanimator, but um, you know, he he was he he put a, a face to our addiction, to you know specifically drug addiction because he that he describes like especially that part that I was just saying like that was him trying to kick cocaine um which we all know is a hell of a drug thank you Stephen King and Maximum Overdrive we we know how bad it can get um yeah I, I mean I just think that was a brilliant way to use your pain and usually when we use our own life experiences and our own pain and and feelings in our writings or or a movie that we make or whatever we do it really shows, it comes across. 
and it comes across to the right people. But sometimes people need a little bit of guidance, and that's what I tried to provide. Um, but yeah, anybody else? Uh, last thoughts? Okay, uh, so I will take this opportunity to launch right into my review, which will absolutely shock zero percent of people. Um, and and I've I realized because I tried it a little bit on the show. Like, uh, does anybody remember Wishmaster, where I gave it like a fucking four, and Erica about cried. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to go through this space because it's just not my personality to be like super critical. Um, I try to rate from the heart what it means to me, um, you know, and, and production values and cast and all that stuff adds into it. But I gave this 10 out of 10 heads giving head. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this movie just over the years, it's one of those ones. Cause sometimes there's some shit that we like when we're kids and we grow out of them because that's the one of the things, I mean, I'm 42 now. I, I just hit 42 a couple weeks ago and it's like, I have so much more wisdom. Um, now and I'm a different person. I'm a parent. I'm a wife. You know, I have a, a house to run and, and things to do like that. And you know, and I've had a lot more life experiences um, in the meantime. But this movie still means just as much to me, if not more, than it did originally when it when it first hooked me. So I, I mean, like I said, uh, great cast. Uh, the, the special effects were were great, and and. The way that I, I believe it was Mike that brought it up that they don't linger too long because they know that it's they didn't have a lot of money for this. I mean, um, you know, they don't linger too long. Like you use the right lighting that, you know, that that gas escaping into the rooms kind of covering up, you know, but we know they show us just enough so that, you know, enough gore in other places so that we trust the gore is there. Um, you know, it was just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. Um Definitely made me care uh, about a H.P. Lovecraft-inspired uh, story. Um, I, he's just not for me. But, again, I mean, I, I'm not going to go on some kind of book site and be like, H.P. Lovecraft sucks dick and he's horrible and you're stupid if you like him. Um, no, like him if you want. That's cool. Um, yeah, so uh, love it. Uh, will not ever stop loving it. It's something that uh, my children like. Uh, my husband likes, uh, my mother likes, it's, it's just always going to be around me, you know, I, and we love this movie. And I don't know what that, if that, if people want to say that's fucked up, well, I don't fucking care. I, I guess maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think so. I guess doesn't matter. Really doesn't. Um, we're horror fans for a reason. <laughs> and, um, and all those reasons are different. But, uh, you know, the horror community is a wonderful place. And, and to see that all the responses that we got to this were so positive, that people are excited about it, shows that, you know, I'm hanging with the right crew. And uh, they get it. They get me. And uh, this movie sh will always be talked about. And you can't do better than that. So the perfect score, 10 on 10, heads giving head. And I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10 ripped naked zombies. <laughs> I I, I saw this young. I didn't see it quite as young as Crystal did. Um, I was I was maybe 12 or 13 when I saw this. But, you know, I mean, I grew up in the 80s. My dad was showing me horror, you know, maybe around eight or nine. And at that time, you know, I was in it for blood and boobs. And that was, you know, that was pretty much it. Like, I didn't look too deep into films. It, if it had blood and it had boobs, like, I was all about it. And as I've gotten older and wiser, as Candy said, I started to see the deeper meaning in films and, and the, the different 
you know, things that, that occur in films that maybe I didn't notice when I was a kid. And so now I look at the relationship between Dan and Meg. And I look at the, the relationship between Dan and Herbert. And, you know, it, it becomes a, a deeper meaning, a deeper film for me. Um, and the gore in this is is great. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, they couldn't they didn't allow too much on the screen at once. Barbara Crampton's no exception. She only allowed Stuart Gordon to have four seconds of her full nude body, um, which, you know, I'm cool with. I'll, I'll take that four seconds. Um, <laughs> I want to add in for just a moment. Barbara Crampton has often been asked why she does nudity in films. And um, I will give a tiny spoiler on Jacob's Wife, which we did on Ghoul's Night Out. It's out on our um, our, our podcasting platforms. But she will absolutely still do nudity and always upholds the nudity that she's done. She feels like it's important to the story. Yeah, and she has said if if there is a need for a Grandma Crampton nude scene, she will absolutely do it. So Hell yes. For all you fanatics out there. Um, but yeah, all in all, I love this film. Like Candy said, this is our, our Valentine's Day film. I don't know why it became our Valentine's Day film, but it did. Weird. <laughs> so we watch it, you know, annually. Um, but yeah, all in all, great film. Um, nine and a half out of ten ripped naked zombies. <laughs> naked. Uh, <laughs> who wants to go next? Oh, I'll just call on uh, Mike then. So I I was really going back and forth on how I wanted to rate this just because I feel like every time I come on this show, I'm just handing out tens like they're candy. But part of that is also um, like. I'm very picky about the episodes that I want to come on. So, <laughs> so I, I am settling in on because I, I do love this movie to death. I think it's pretty close to perfect. Um I likewise saw it young. I was probably 10 or 11 when I first saw it. It's It's been a horror movie that's always kind of just carried with me. You know, you guys know, well, at least Candy, you and Sean know, I, you know, I'm an Evil Dead guy. Evil Dead 2 is my favorite horror movie of all time. This one is in that same category for me. It's got very similar vibes. It's, it's exactly the type of horror that I love, um, which is not bleak, not nihilistic, scary and tackle stuff, but also understands that it's okay for us to have fun while we're watching the movie as well, as opposed to, you know, my hot take for the night is opposed to anything that Brian fucking Bertino's done. That guy just, <laughs> um, anyway, but, so I am going to give it 10 out of 10 dead cats in a fridge. <laughs> I I like that rating. <laughs> but, you know, um, a lot of people say that just really quick uh, about they come on the show and they feel like, like, wow, I'm always so generous on the show. I'm like, well, you do pick the episodes that you, you like. And also we are me in particular. I have this thing about me where I can go on other people's shows and change their ratings. Like, I've done it to Ian a million times. I've done it to other people on their shows. Like, I've changed the rating. He's the manipulative. I've tried to warn you. I'm convincing. I'm convincing. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's I, our I, Herbert West. She's just yeah. <laughs> Need some reagent. Um, yeah. But I just want to say, yeah, I, I am pretty convincing. But also, yeah, you do pick the episodes. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a mix of that. I, I'm just, I don't know. That's my skill. I never asked for it, but I, I can convince people of different scores. I have that ability. It, it's my only ability, but uh, yeah. Uh, so let's hear from Dave and Crystal. 
Um, I'm going to give this 7 out of 10 cats that can't tango. <laughs> I like the movie. I saw it very young, and then I don't think I saw it again until high school when I was showing it to people, and then saw it last night. So, um, for me, the special effects are there. Um, Herbert loses his accent like two minutes into the movie. Um, but thank you, Mike, for bringing up Clive Barker, because my favorite horror movie franchise is Hellraiser. So, I mean, I hold, I hold a high bar. Pinhead is my ultimate favorite. Um, and then Saw. So, um, I'm there for the effects. I'm there for the gore. Um, but this one, I love the love story. I think love story combined with the special effects is what makes it a seven for me. It's not the ultimate top for me, but I can definitely appreciate it. And I appreciate how they twisted and worked on the first two series of the HP Lovecraft uh, volumes. So, 7 out of 10 cats that can't take them. <laughs> <laughs> because it's dead. Does it look dead to you? It's dead. It's dead. Uh, Dave, that leaves you. Yeah, I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 security guard uh, private moments. Because that was <laughs> that was the scene that made me the, mo the most uncomfortable. What does that say about me? Boudoir magazine. <laughs> maybe the he's reading what is it? Boudoir. Boudoir. And, and then he's like, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna go on break for a few minutes. Yeah, and he's like, oh my god. We know exactly yeah. where you're going, dude. <laughs> and, but that, again, that's the comedy. That's the comedy. That but the but the best comedy makes us uncomfortable, and it makes us it makes us uncomfortable because we all do it. We've all wanked off. Come on, let's face it. Come on, we've all wanked off. I'm a virgin. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love that security guard. We didn't talk enough about him chopping on that cigar the whole time. Yeah. And then when the big climax is coming, he looks in the door. He's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. He just fucking bails. He's like, which is what we all would have done. This is another, and I feel like a broken record because I think I say this every single episode. But this is another one of those movies that if it hadn't been for being on this podcast, I would have watched it. And yes, hey, maybe laugh, whatever, head giving head, funny, ha ha. But, it, but being on the podcast, I want to be able to say a little more something about it. So I look into it more. And it, there's more to find. Not every single episode has been like that. Not every movie we've done is. But this is another one of those that you, when you dig into it, there's so much more to see and to find. And, and I love that. And I love that about us, that it makes it forces me to learn more about stuff you know what and and especially horror movies i'm always willing to learn and yeah so i gotta give it 10 out of 10 just because that whole love triangle thing just fascinates me that i did i did not see that back when i was 21 and i saw this it, and now it's all i can see this you know this, this he, he just that whole scene with him calling him danny right after she calls him danny that's almost like him elbowing her out of the way hey danny it's so, it's so impactful. It's such a small thing, but it's those small things, those little details that we don't notice right away or we don't find out until later that we're like, oh, shit. Oh, oh. Yeah, it means more to me now than it did back then. And uh, this, yes, I, I'm really glad I got to revisit this, um, this film. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because when you talk about comedic moments, and I know Crystal mentioned it, when... Dr. Hill is going back to the morgue and he puts the study head on yes. oh, and he's, yes. and he's kind of like, like 
like sneaking like back up against the wall towards the door, you know, and you see him and he's got that mask on, you know, but it's the it's the steady head. And even Barbara Crampton had pointed out, like, why doesn't he just put his real head on there? Right. It would have been funny. Right. Yeah, right. You know, a couple of staples. And those old school like things where you put the paper on them, you know, where, you know, if they can do that. um. You know, why can't you put the head back on? But, yeah, it wouldn't have been as funny. Yeah. Yeah. And Barbara Crampton, she's so great. She did a um, a, a, a YouTube a horror movie. It's called House Mother. So if you haven't seen that, look it up. It's like six minutes long. She is phenomenal. Yeah, and I highly recommend Jacob's Wife, which Eric and I did for Ghouls Night Out. Um, we did a really great episode about it. It's out already that we've done it. And it's currently, uh, at the time of this recording, Jacob's wife is still showing on Shudder, and I highly recommend it. Um, Barbara Crampton herself has said she's just now getting the roles that she's really, really liking. And she's been working for a long time. Know. You know, um, she did horror. She did, right. uh, yeah, she did a lot. Of, she was on a soap. Uh, she did a lot of stuff. You're um, next, she was in your next, which is actually a yeah. fine little movie. So she, she's awesome. doing a return to horror, and it's like yeah. she's our queen, you know what I mean? Um, who doesn't love her? But yeah, Jacob's wife was just brilliant in a time where, you know, we're just having a sort of renaissance in horror where we're starting to get good stuff again. Uh, Mike? Yeah, she actually retired. She was not acting anymore. It was uh, Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett who got her out of retirement to do your right. next uh and so you know we're getting the the crampton assants i guess uh the barbers well deserved give her as much credit as rick moranis because they wanted to raise a family yeah stuff to have raised her her daughters and stuff and uh, I do for the the thirsty listeners out there. I do also have to say, at the risk of being a pig, the Playboy spread that she did contemporaneously with Reanimator is amazing, and it's Google it and find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, as a third wave feminist, I really uh, firmly believe. Now this is me, a little ghouls night out spilling over, but I'm of the firm belief that uh, a woman can do whatever she wants with her body, whether it's sex work, want to be a stripper, whatever you want to do, whatever brings you empowerment. Um, and if that's the joy in your body, because, you know, uh, like first wave feminist is like against anything the patriarchy says. And it's like and, and feminism, that is what it is at its whole. But third wave is is very permissible and like. Yeah, do do whatever you want. You want to look girly? Don't do it because the patriarchy tells you to. Do it because you want to do it. Um, like like you know we we we've spoken. I think in that episode, like you know I've been asked a lot, how can I be a feminist when I'm uh, a housewife? Uh, I chose to be a housewife. I chose to raise my children, and that doesn't make me any less of a feminist. But um, yeah, I, I just yeah I, I really applaud that. Like women who who find empowerment through their bodies go for it girl like that's your thing absolutely you know if it makes you feel powerful if you're doing it for you um then you're still a feminist and also uh yeah and jacob's wife like uh she's still not afraid to show her body and i was like damn i when i grow up i want to look like barbara crampton does in her 60s <laughs> yes. my mother yes so when i grow up yeah i want to be barbara crampton um anybody else 
Okay, uh, so I'm just going to take a moment to talk about what I always do every week, even though we've been releasing them out of order and it's fucking weird. But that gives you, the listener, the opportunity to say you have time for it. Um, we're going to be doing The Birds because we're starting to mix some more classic horror in. Um, we're going to do the American version of The Grudge, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, uh, Action Junkies crossover with They Live, uh, which... Uh, hmm. I love They Live. It was supposed to happen earlier in the year, around the time of my surgery. So that was early summer. Um, I said, fuck, I'm not missing that. So we're moving it. Uh, I'll miss everything else, but I'm not missing They Live. Um, so, yeah, They Live. Uh, we have uh, Ghouls Night Out. We're doing Audition. Um, everybody who knows anything and pays any attention to our socials knows us. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. So that would be neat talking about that from a feminist point of view. The Fog, and we are ending the season with Prince of Darkness, coming back with season five after our holiday break. The Fog. I am so stoked for The Fog. Oh, my God. Daddy yeah. Tom Atkins. I mean, and come the on. Ooh. The Birds. Maybe the first movie that ever scared the shit out of me, The Birds. I'm still scared of birds. And speaking of society, remember that was the episode where the bird flew in our garage and I kept screaming throughout <laughs> yes, the episode? I do remember that. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I can't wait to I'd scream. I would, I would, and you guys were like, what? And I'm like, the fucking bird. And it's just a bird chilling in our garage. I'm like, get it out. It's, it's a tiny dinosaur. I can't wait to tell you the story of the birds from his, his mom. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. So I'm excited. Uh, the birds is coming up, and we also have a little surprise in the midst of all that, but uh, I'm not going to announce it at this time. Um, so plugs. Uh, Mike, what do you got plugs for? So uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Hibachi Justice, and you can find my podcast, Adkins Undisputed, uh, everywhere podcasts can be found. We are currently on a hiatus uh, just because I'm dealing with some – I've got some – personal stuff going on. Uh, but I do also want to shout out a couple of just recently recorded guest spots. I did, uh, I was on my friend Lindsay Wilkins show schlock and awe where she pairs, uh, movies together talking about the raid and evil dead Two, and making my argument that the raid is absolutely a horror movie. Um, and so if you're interested in that, check it out. And then, it will be out. Uh, it's not out yet, but it will be out by the time you guys release this episode. I was on my friend Chris Hurtado's show inside the sequel talking about the Purge movies and uh, how much I love them with every fiber of my being. So uh, you can check those out. If you follow me on Twitter, just at Hibachi Justice, you'll find everything that I do. I link to everything I do. It's funny you mentioned that about the Purge, because I think Dave in our in our Facebook chat had mentioned something about the Purge movies, and Rob immediately was like, hold on, let me text Mike. Yeah, yeah, Rob texted me about it. I had bought on, on Voodoo, they had the, like, the five-pack on sale, and I bought them all. And uh, I got to say, not, you know, those movies have a lot to say. They don't always pull it off perfectly, but particularly the second and the third one, anything with Frank Grillo, Grillo or Grillo, I don't know how to pronounce it. Grillo. Grillo. But this, the, the, really, really, it's, it's one of those weird series where the first one is actually the weakest of the entries. Uh, and I, I, I enjoyed them a lot. I'd love to talk about them some more. Yeah. Interesting movies with a lot to say about society and how expendable, like, horror people are. Yeah, um, very topical. Yeah. I'm going to edit this out, so I'm leaving this marker in right now because um, I've been doing the editing. But, Mike, I'm going to get with you. Uh, I already have season five scheduled. You know what a scheduling maniac I am. And we have so many spots open and we're doing some great shit that I know you'll like. So uh, do you want me to get, like, I'll get your email from you again. Yeah. And 
Yeah, just or you can just DM me on Twitter. Yeah, you can get my my email is just mjscott76 at gmail.com. So now you've got it. Now you've got it in this. So as you're editing, you'll hear it. (laughs) And and so I'll send it over to you. Um, um, We we started doing some non-horror titles, too. Um, As horror business, they always have a horror tie in. But yeah, I just wanted to see if like you wanted to get on that schedule because I'm just now starting to schedule season five as for I mean, it's scheduled, but I don't have all the guests yet. So, yeah, send it to me. So I'll take practically everything's open and things that I know that you like. So, okay, sounds um, good. Awesome. Okay, um, I'll go next on plugs because um, I try to keep it short, but it never stays short. Um, everything about this show and any of my other horror undertakings um, is in my link tree, link tree slash candy, the final girl. Um, it links my Instagram, my main Instagram, I should say, uh, which I mostly use for this show, but um, there, you're going to get things that relate to this show, but are like makeup, like, uh, you know, obviously I have a horror makeup company with Erica. Um, and that's also linked in there. There's an Instagram for that that I don't fuck with too much, but like tonight I had to be like, snap a picture, like, Oh, tonight's reanimator look that's, you're going to get that. And you're going to get some really cool horror discussions, uh, Twitter, uh, any of our other presences like on Facebook, whatever, that's all in there um but you will be conversing with me because i'm the only one who doesn't work on this show um i'm I'm just at home trying to navigate a medical nightmare um but yeah you're talking to me and i'm easy to talk to so yeah thank you listeners and um shout out to all of our friends all of our missing family members tonight and um we're very thankful that uh you could join us mike happy to be here thanks for thanks for inviting me Definitely, definitely. I'm Sean of the Dead. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Sean of the Dead. Uh, shout out to everybody listening, and shout out to uh, uh, Dave. What do you got for us? Yeah, just uh, Mac, Nico, Rob, and Erica. I missed them all. Um, and I just love being here. I love the fact that being here makes me look deeper into movies than I would have otherwise. And that's good. That's good for me. It makes me feel good about me, which is always good for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, we got to do that self-care. If it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't have discovered brain damage, which is seriously one of my favorite movies of all time now. A a movie that I'd never heard of made me cry. That's a good movie. Fucking amazing movie. I'm so proud of that. We call it our after-school special episode. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you know. It was, we were doing that because I was like, I had to mute myself. I was crying so hard at one point, but like. Yeah, I'm so proud of that fucking thing. I'm I so just proud. love, I just love being here. I love, and I love a- horror movies, and I love learning about things that I wouldn't normally have learned about. Yeah, that that deeper look. Uh, Crystal, anywhere that you find Dave, you'll find me. I miss everybody. I got my flu shot today, so my arm feels like it's gonna fall off. Oh, <laughs> but um, anywhere you find Dave, you'll find me. And which is also true about Sean, because he spells it. It's all spelled fucked up. So wherever you find me, you will find him. Because on Instagram, and some people get a little creepy. Like I had another creep today um, who once who went through like my Instagram and liked about sixty pictures. That's about wow. uh, I don't know a good seven eight months worth of pictures for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, I, so it says wife of Sean of the Dead. So he's tagged in all my shit. So like, please stay away, right. creeps. But yeah, if you can find me, you can find him. We're safer that way. <laughs> the, the internet, you know, it's 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 a hellscape. Yeah. It is. 
And yeah, there's so much I could say further on that that we've talked about in other episodes, but I will not yeah. at this juncture. Uh, nice clean episode. Uh, we got done on time, and and um, thank you guys all so much for being here. It's been a wonderful discussion, a movie that I truly, truly treasure, and it was fun um, really diving in there with with good friends. So uh, we'll see you again soon, Mike. Um, and you take care. And if you ever need, uh, you know, just a friend to talk to, you know, obviously you just got our plugs. You know, who we are. Yep. Appreciate <laughs> it. I look forward to coming back. I'll I'll talk to you guys soon. Awesome. Okay, well, good night, everybody. Take care, guys. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.